Hey everyone, it's Christina and Brie from Breaking Out of Breaking In. The slightly less distant past from the episode that you're about to listen to. If you haven't seen on social media, we recently left Substack and have transferred over to Patreon. If you want to just Google Substack controversy, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll find a lot. Also, if you go find Emily Vanderwerf's um, recap of events, you'll also find stuff. Basically, Substack has been uh, apathetic at best to controlling hate speech against trans people on their platform and potentially like actively fueling it. Uh, so we didn't feel good about them having our money, so we stopped giving it to them. Um, so if you are a current subscriber or were planning to be a subscriber, definitely hop over to Patreon where we have maintained the archive that was already on Substack. So mm -hmm. all of the, the great bonus content that we've released prior to this time is now over on Patreon and Good news for you, dear listeners, is that to access all of that great content and all future great content of the like additional templates and curated learnings and infographics that I slave over, <laughs> uh, it's now only $3 a month for accessing all of that. So uh, you can access the base level of stuff at $3 a month. But if you want to continue to be a subscriber or uh, become a new subscriber at the original $5 a month level, you will also get a cool holographic sticker of our logo. So that's pretty that's exciting. Right. And and you'll notice a new th perk at the end of this episode for everyone who is now a $10 or above patron is that they will get a shout out at the end of every podcast episode. But yeah, if you would like to support the show and get yourself some additional goodies, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash breaking out pod. Let's, let's jump back into the episode now. Yeah. I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down personal branding, talking through your filmmaker bio, your portfolio, your website, and your reels. If you would like to suggest an upcoming topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod, or via email, breakingoutofbreakinginpod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything we cover on this podcast, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. For just $3 a month, you'll get bonus content like templates, curated learnings, and custom infographics. For $5 a month, you'll get a holographic logo sticker. And for $10 a month, you'll get that, the sticker, and a shout out at the end of every episode because you are one of our VIPs. Uh, so, Christina personal branding. What do you think your personal brand is? Oh my god, I didn't know you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm 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 trying to make some more, you know, like off the cuff moments. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think that my like my sort of tagline, I suppose, is that I'm a writer director of socially conscious horror and comedy. And mm. and that is I would say my personal brand. I mean, it's bigger than that. Like, I love genre and I care about representation and I make, like, quirky, dark comedy type stuff. Like, even my genre stuff tends to be playful. And I think that that's my – I think that's how people see me and the, like, brand that 
would be my name. Um, but then people also know me as like an educator and as someone who sort of like builds community and there's indie works and all of that. But I think it all is under this umbrella of like a filmmaker who makes socially conscious, playful content and loves independent film. Yeah, I think that that, that I would I would agree with all of that self-evaluation. <laughs> well, what's yours? Yeah, mine, I honestly struggle with, and I'm curious what I will feel about it at the end of this. I think that broadly speaking, I'm sort of the like, the loud, blunt, asexual person who loves Twitter too much. Um, I, that's kind of like a lot of my personal branding is also my personality, which is just... I have a very dry sense of humor. I'm a very mm -hmm. loud person. Um, I have a lot of opinions. And also the defining thing about my work, certainly for the past couple of years, has been around like my constant need to get even one more asexual character into the canon by any means necessary, because my God, we have so little of it. Um, mm -hmm. So I, and those, and that's the thing that I generally speak about on podcasts. Like I've been more so recently on like podcasts about queerness, um, either tangentially or directly. So that has very much been be become part of my brand is I'm, I'm a, the, I'm the asexual filmmaker who's mm -hmm. extremely loud also. <laughs> What I think is interesting is that you read as your brand and your work feels like your main characters tend to feel like you, like you, like not fully you, mm -hmm. but they're like you're writing in a voice that feels like your voice th that you yeah. speak with. And I feel like I'm like, that's not me, which is interesting because like when I'm at, in the horror community, because I have other, I have tons of friends who make horror and a lot of them are like, they're kind of like high school goth kids and like <laughs> love them, not my style, you know? But like that is sort of what most filmmakers who make horror look like. I was just saying to you uh, when we were talking about bios and I said that I found an old tweet where I, I said someone tweeted that, I, that I'm a quiet storm after I was on a panel. They're like, oh, you're like a quiet <laughs> storm and I love it. And I feel like that feels accurate because people who know me know that I can be loud and I can be very talkative and I have very strong opinions, but people who don't know me think I'm very quiet. And mm -hmm. like, all of that is to say that I don't think that you see me and meet me and expect the work that I make. And from someone who's like always trying to defy expectations, I like that about myself. But I also know that it, it is hard to then sell myself as like a writer. Do you know what I mean? Whereas sure. like you, I think you, it's like you, if you like this like firecrackerness that you're getting from this human, then like that's what you're going to get on the page and, and you want this person because you can see it. Yeah. And it's funny because it, that it's kind of a reversal. Like I was, I was a goofy small kid and then very quickly like was kind of sequestered into like advanced placement place uh, classes like when I was young and that kind of like there's not really room for personality in those and mm. then like you know bullying and being a very strange looking child turned me into someone who when people would talk to me in middle school one of the things that was consistent was people would start talking to me of course we talk about music because nothing else is happening when you're 13 years old and I would like mention a band that I liked and they'd be like you listen to insert popular band at the time, probably Nickelback or something insane. <laughs> um, I, I always saw you as more of like a, I don't know, like a Beethoven kind of person, which is just <laughs> shorthand for classical music. And I was like, what? 
I I scream sing Avril Lavigne when I'm waiting for the bus in the morning. What are you talking about? But because I didn't talk to anybody, I was just like, I would probably have been described as a quiet storm because like, mm-hmm. if you got me going, I'd, you know, I'd be there. But I was very, if not shy, just sort of quiet and intense and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until college that um, I stopped being quiet and intense and weird. And it's because honestly, I found comedy because mm-hmm. like, when you're a writer and you're young, and specifically, I think when you're a a girl mm-hmm. people put you if you want to write they put you in the bucket of like oh you're gonna write like romance you're gonna write mm-hmm. like drama you know like girls aren't comedians mm-hmm. nobody thinks of a girl as a comedian so I was never put in those buckets even though I do think that I was like I was pretty funny you know I did speech and debate after a while and a lot of like what I was good at was was that but it wasn't until college when I was like I am tired of writing these bummer <laughs> stories. I want to tell a joke about a superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally felt like, oh, I've actually always wanted to do this, but I just had an idea of what it was to be a writer that like is so not how I naturally want to interact with people. And mm-hmm. so it's been a really like dramatic shift. Like if people from high school met me now, they would not recognize me for basically every reason in the book. Um, mm. So I, I'm glad that I've gotten to that point. But I, I, what I struggle with with branding is less like having a distinct voice and having a sort of instant impression that matches my work my struggle is how do I how do I target that better how do I hone in because like what we talked about in the grind culture episode you know so much of me is defined by I do a million things Mm -hmm. but that's not good branding personal branding demands at least a level of fitting into a box right well so I would say and this advice came from my manager that I recently acquired <laughs> um <laughs> i i i'm not allowed to like share full details yet otherwise maybe we would like have an episode about it but at some point hopefully i can but um i had to do a revamp of my website and this is really kind of how this episode came about i think because i was like mm-hmm. asking you for feedback on it as i was making changes but the biggest piece of advice that she gave me was to not try and present myself as all the things that I do because that's what my website was before. It was very much like I make this stuff and I run IndieWorks and I teach and I do consultations and love mentoring filmmakers and I like programming. Like it was just all of these things in one and I was just like trying to just give you this whole well-rounded picture and she was like that the you want to be a writer director right like you want to tell your stories that is your number one that's your like ultimate goal these other things of of course things you care about they're things that you make money through potentially they're things that you maybe still want to spend your time doing even if you do get to the point where you're able to like make a living off of your storytelling but they're not what you want people to go to your site recognize you for and and give you an opportunity for because I I can always pursue client work but at the end of the day I want someone to go to my site see that I write this kind of stuff and I direct this kind of stuff and say hey here's some money (laughs) or here's a job (laughs) writing that stuff um, because that's what I want right so she was like your website you need to make it so that if uh 
showrunner is potentially considering you for a staffing position, which was the case at the time, which was back in, in November, um, October, November, uh, that that showrunner won't question that this is what you want to do. They won't come to your site and think like, oh, but does she really want to teach? Is she just like a writer on the side or is she a writer, you know? And so I revamped my whole website with that in mind. And that's kind of how I found my tagline that I said at the beginning of this (laughs) uh, because I was really trying to like get specific and make my bio serve what I want to do. And I think that, And I would say that honestly, like the podcast and wanting to promote the podcast, but also not wanting to like break the rules that I set for myself and what my website is supposed to be has been a bit of a challenge. But that's my advice to you is like to also try and get into that that zone of like, okay, what do I want my ultimate thing to be? And that should be what I lead with. And then if they want to know more, they're they're like, okay, well, that's great, but I actually want this. And then you can kind of pull it out of your pocket that you also do that. Great. But like totally. lead with the thing that you really want people to know you for. Yeah. I think the, the overarching theme of this episode needs to be there's a difference between personal branding for the career you want and the resume for the career that you could have right now that'll pay the bills. And they, they do need to be two distinct yeah. separate things. Like it feels like it would be efficient to have it all in one place, but all things considered, I yeah, I if I don't want to keep getting teaching jobs forever because I want to teach Uh, then maybe I should stop leading with being a professor. So let's back up really quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's let's there's two great questions actually from from former students of mine um, that I think are going to be great for setting the stage of this. So uh, the first question from Kevin Seafried is what is the purpose of each the bio portfolio and reel? Um, and when someone looks at them, what are they hoping to find? So in your opinion, Christina, what is just sort of like the high level purpose of a bio? A bio is to give you a sense of who this person is outside of their work. So a good bio to me is not just listing awards you've won and films you've made. I think that's like (laughs) a bad bio because everyone can do that. And honestly, if I've never heard of these titles, like who cares that you've made them, right? It should be a a sense of what shaped you as the artist that you now are. And I think also it's a good place to start to inject personality, whether it's in the words that you use or like a little aside. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, so then high level, what is the, the purpose of like having a portfolio website? It's to be like a one stop hub for finding your work, finding out about you. It's just like the place you can direct people for whatever their needs may may be related to you and your work. Yeah, I I, I always think of it as just like, this is my visual resume. Like Mm -hmm. at a certain point, it got too hard to just say like, here's a link to watch my work. It's now it's like, I I have, you know, two short films, two web series, and a number of other things that I've worked on that I'm proud of and would love to be hired in some capacity for. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here's the one-stop shop for that. Um, And we'll, of course, talk more specifically about organizing it in a little bit. Uh, But then finally, what would you say the purpose of a reel is? R-E-E-L. A reel is to show your style and approach to whatever your craft is. Um, whatever makes you unique, like show, don't tell, right? So I can say that I like am really great with pacing, but you don't know that that's true unless you see it, right? And so that for me, it's most useful if you're trying to get hired for that thing or like cast or whatever. 
Um, but it can also be a great tool for getting collaborators to say yes, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be that someone's looking to hire like a director. It could be that you, you want to show that to the actors so they can kind of see what what their end work might look like and feel mm-hmm. like. What your sensibility you. is, what kind of quality yeah. you've made in the past. Totally. Yeah. And then I think the answer to the sort of second part of his question, when someone looks at them, what are they hoping to find? Um, generally speaking, like they're being sent it. They aren't like organically discovering it. Nobody kind of comes across your portfolio website. Nobody comes across your reel. Usually you've mm-hmm. submitted it or someone has submitted on your behalf or, you know, you have sent it to them because of a conversation you had somewhere. And what they're looking to find, I mean, it depends. If, if, you, if it was sent to them because like they're a showrunner looking over your work, what they're looking for is, does this person have the experience necessary for the job that I'd like to hire them for? And is the kind of work that they're doing seem to, to does it seem to jive or at the very very least seem complementary to the work that I need them to do. Mm-hmm. And so that that's another, you know, mark in favor of the, you know, dress for the dress, your materials, your brand for the job you want, not the job that, yeah, sure, I'll take it. Anything, please. It's a pandemic. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, if you're if you're everything and somebody's looking for a very specific thing that you would be good for, it might be buried. So I would say that that would be my answer to that second question. Yep. And then in terms of um, getting a little bit more specific, but still talking about kind of all at once, uh, Autumn Shinko asks, when you're making a bio or a personal website, what do people actually want to know about you? And I think that's a that's a good starting place to go. Like, you know, we do want to show personality and something behind the work. We don't want it to just be a list of credits. But, you know, I'm a complex person. I've been on the mm-hmm. planet for three days shy of 29 years like the (laughs) hell do you want to know about that time um so christina how do you decide what like personal influences and information goes into like your bio and your portfolio i yeah i you know i i picked like it's like high level stuff things that shaped me right things that influence the work that i make so on my website in my bio I mention the fact that I grew up with a single mom. In my short bio, I don't, but in my longer bio, I do because whether it is like literally a single mom or uh, just like a woman who is kind of like doing it all on her own, that's a, a common thing you'll see in my work in some capacity. And it's shaped like who I am, my work ethic, my outlook on life. And so I feel like it's like a fact, like a little fact about me that tells you something without like having to go into detail. So generally I like to know where people, you know, grew up because that says something about maybe their outlook on life. Like if they grew up on a coast or if they grew up like in a small town in the Midwest. And so I like to know like little things about what kind of context you had, if it feels relevant, like if it doesn't feel relevant to who you are, then don't say it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it's like a little bit of what shaped you. And then anything else that's in your life that impacts the the work that you do. So like if you are a specific ethnicity and that that identity is like all of your work, right? Like that is the representation you care about. In the case of Brie, like being asexual, right? Like that is mm-hmm. something that you mention in your bio, um, in your longer bio, because it is your work, right? Like that's the representation that you care about. And so it's all about, like we said in the marketing, I feel like we're rehashing a little bit of the marketing stuff here, but it's like finding that intersection of where you and your work overlap 
and giving away enough that paints a picture without like being too wordy. But I also think like, yeah, the 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 big things are just like find something that sets you apart. So like, yes, where you're from, what influences you um, and any detail that even if it's not immediately relevant in your work, like might be something that sets you apart that could be an icebreaker or something like that. Like I, uh, uh, let, so let's just transition directly into talking about, you know, the filmmaker bio and, you know, mm-hmm. Christina's already kind of mentioned this, but you, you're going to have kind of a couple of different versions as with everything thing. You, you know, mm-hmm. you need a versatile kind of how to talk about yourself dependent on context. Um, but like something that I like to do in whatever kind of bio that I have is um, whether it's like a professional bio, quote unquote, quote unquote, or it's one that I use on my own, you know, for my own purposes, I like to add some kind of like, cheeky sentence that takes up space and doesn't really do do, tell anything about my experience, but does sort of indicate like my, my sense of humor, my, my tone, Mm -hmm. my voice, my brand, as it were. So like Mm -hmm. my favorite one is about um, how I've been called a human bulldozer. And I'm honestly kind of flattered. And what I like about that, which some people when I was like revamping my website, and that was much more prominent in it, some people were like, Oh, no, like that might people might not like that. And I'm like, honestly, if they don't like it, that is all I need to know about them, and that's fine. <laughs> but also, human bulldozer, just as a phrase, gives us a lot of information about me. I'm very much being upfront about the fact that I am loud, I have opinions, I am not going to be afraid to tell them. Um, but then kind of lightening it up a little bit with the but is honestly kind of flattered by it, not only shows that I have a sense of humor about myself and my own you know, potential negatives of being around me, a person who bulldozes people, but it also gives you an immediate sense of like, I don't take myself too seriously. I know Mm -hmm. who I am. I am self-assured, but I am also not going to be like a bummer to be around and I'm not going to be too much. Like I I am self-aware enough to be able to evaluate myself from the outside. And I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on this one sentence that that happens in my bios, but like I find it to be a very effective way of kind of breaking the ice and and inevitably, every yeah. time somebody reads it out loud at a panel that I'm on, which happens more than I, you'd think, uh, but a lot of times instead of just doing their own intro, people will just read my bio right before I speak. Uh, mm-hmm. There's always some kind of little chatter at the top about the human bulldozer part. And so it's always a nice sort of way to kind of gently get into the topic at hand, even if it's more, you know, um, professional in nature, even if I'm there to represent like a work or whatever, like it immediately, I think, puts people at ease. Yeah, I think... Some people, especially when we're talking about like festivals, because this is a thing, whenever my film would, whenever a film gets into a festival and they print a program, nine times out of 10, they're going to put a director bio in the program. And there were times where I would read it and I was just like, oh God, this is not relevant to the film that's in this festival. (laughs) And so I think it's also helpful to maybe have slightly different versions for different projects where you highlight different Mm. things. Like I just started submitting around this script that I wrote with a single mom who is Indo-Trinidadian, which is like my mom is Indo-Trinidadian. And that wasn't in my bio previously, but for this particular project, it's in my bio because I want people to know that I'm pulling from like a little bit of life experience and that like this film doesn't exist without me attached 
So that's a big part of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't put that I'm asexual in every bio because it's rarely relevant in relevant, terms of like right. when I'm teaching a workshop. But um, but like when I'm t- speaking at like uh, FlameCon, for instance, I, I spoke two years in a row at FlameCon. It's like a queer Comic-Con based in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, both times when they asked for my bio for that, like I made sure to put my own queerness front and center so that I wasn't just like, a you know, a potentially token straight person <laughs> at, the, at the queer convention. I wanted to make sure like, no, 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 I'm I'm here. I can hang. That's what I think is like there's a distinction between the bio versions that you have that you send to people for different reasons and the one that lives on your site. And I think mm. the one that lives on your site should be as all-encompassing as possible of what I said earlier, the thing you want people to know about you for what you want to do. So like in your site bio, it makes sense to mention that you're asexual because it's like a unique point of view that comes also with your humor and your style and whatever, but it's like, this is a specific tidbit about me that is going to be represented in my work as well. Totally. So um, how do you feel about press that you've gotten that's high profile or awards that you've gotten that are high profile? Like what's what's your opinion on name dropping? I mean, I think that naming awards and press could go a long way if they're like legitimately recognizable by either the average person or people who really make decisions in your industry. Um, and and I think it's a fine line when we're talking about awards because a lot of people like to mention awards and it's like no one's ever heard of that. I'll link a video um, from a, a guy I know named Alex LeMay. He's a uh, working writer director does a lot of like documentary stuff, but he's done horror um, and narrative things as well. He's he's big in like the web series community. That's how mm-hmm. I know him. But he has a, a pretty good video about like the mistakes that filmmakers make when they write their bio. And one thing that he spends a lot of time on is like stop putting that you're an award winning insert thing here in your bio yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it doesn't mean anything. He's like unless you can tell me what the award was. And you probably can't because you'd be embarrassed to take it mm-hmm. out. Um, yeah. And I, I see, Christina, you have made a note in our document that is a very good simile for this. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of people who put that they're CEOs of their one person production company on LinkedIn or on their site or something. And it's just like if someone who's actually a CEO of a big company would see that and laugh don't do it. Like if you're really running a team of people or there's just like some real tangible level of being a chief executive officer, (laughs) unless that is true, like don't do it. And I feel the same about award winning where it's like if if you won an Oscar, if you've won an Indie Spirit Award, if you've won the Nora Ephron Award at Tribeca, if you can like, if you can say the award in that sentence and people will be like, oh, I know that. Or someone who makes decisions will be like impressed by it because it's an industry thing. Otherwise, don't do it like because it means nothing. And it just it makes you look like you're naive about the industry. And I think that that's not the pre- like what you want to present. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I, I've definitely fallen into this because, like, you know, when it's you and, like, you know the award and it did feel good and you know who you were up against and you feel good about beating them out. Um, but also, like, yeah, I'm not going to list the award that I've been an award winner for. I will for the film itself, but in my mm-hmm. own bio, yeah. 
to call myself award-winning, it feels like it would help me, but I think enough people have pointed it out at this point that I'm like, I think I should I should slowly but surely start removing that from all of my various bios because at this point, it's functionally meaningless unless I can name drop. So I think that would be the one situation right. where name dropping really makes sense. That or like specific press from recognizable publications, like saying like, I was featured in Talk Nerdy with us back in 2016. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was a really nice feature. I really appreciate being featured by Talk Nerdy with us, but nobody knows that website. <laughs> so, you know, who who am I trying to impress? Yeah. I get the desire to do it because sometimes, oh, totally. sometimes I put my bio in something and I have like an arrogant moment of like, but they're not going to know like how impressive I am, you know? <laughs> and, and I, and I get, so I get the like, desire to then add this thing that's like, well, I've won awards, but mm-hmm. that is not going to make you more impressive because everyone else is going to say award winning and they could be talking about something really big or they could be talking about, you know, a, like a school film festival award or something. And they're, not to say that there isn't value because there are some awards that I'm so, appra- I'm so proud of because the program was so excellent. So to have one in like a in that pool of of people or or films, um, I feel so good about. And that's not to say that like you should be ashamed or embarrassed or it doesn't mean anything. Of course it means something, but unless people like were in that room and watched that program and understand how it's relative, right? There it just doesn't mean anything. And unfortunately, our industry is so much about Either it means something at large or it means nothing. So like either your premier festival was a top tier festival or nobody cares. Either you went to one of the top film schools or nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Either you like had these actors in your film or nobody cares. And I'm obviously like, obviously people care, but again, it's kind of like, if no one's ever heard of that actor, would you mention them in your bio? No. You would say something else that's more like you've worked with X amount of actors who have said this quote about you. Like, that's much more eye-catching and interesting than saying, like, I worked with, you know, I can't think of a random name off the top of my head, but like, (laughs) if no one's ever heard of that person, it doesn't mean anything. And like, again, that doesn't mean it doesn't, literally doesn't mean anything, but in the industry, it does not mean anything. And that's how I feel. The point of a bio. Right. And that's what I feel like you have to kind of step back and, and think about. Like, if you read this from someone else, would it mean anything to you? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think that's smart. My 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 feeling on where you maybe can do it is if it's like a unique award and you can specify it. So even if it's not like the Nora Ephron Award at Tribeca, um, you know. So I have an, I won an award in twenty in twenty nineteen at the Queens World Film Festival, and it's the lowest Weber Pioneer Award for leadership in film, and like that's a really like I'm proud of winning that. And Queen's Royal Film Festival is not a major festival. So it's like not at the top of my bio, but when I have extra characters, like they allow me to add another sentence, I'll add that at the end of my bio because I think it says something about me and how other people see me in film because it's like such a specific award. It's not just like directing at a random festival. It's it's like has this specificity that I think adds interest and it kind of makes you think, well, what, what does she do in film? Like what makes her a leader in film? outside of just like making movies and that maybe makes you more intrigued about me and I've seen other people 
because I, I go, I, I have a lot of horror friends and I go to a lot of horror festivals. So there's usually like, you know, like the macabre whatever award. And like, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like that's maybe something you would put at the end of your bio too, but not the first sentence and not just like in a blanket award winning. So how about numbers? How do you feel about people putting numbers in both like I've won X amount of awards or like this film won X amount of awards or like a view count? I think that saying you've won X amount of awards is still just like bullshit because it could be a bunch of bullshit Mm -hmm. awards. I think maybe saying your film won X amount could help you if you're trying to like get distribution for that film Mm -hmm. because in that case, they don't necessarily care where the awards came from. They care that there was like enough audience intrigue or like validation from X amount of sources that there could be an audience for this film that makes it worth buying. Sure. When it comes to view count, I think that that could be helpful if you're trying, I think it's again about your purpose. Like if I'm trying to prove that I'm a filmmaker worth investing money in for a project because I'm going to build awareness for your whatever, like if it's, you know, uh, like product placement type of content, then mm-hmm. saying that your work gets X amount of views is a very good thing to put in your, in your bio. But If it's just like for audience, like you're trying to get audience intrigue, I don't think that that's necessary. If it's like a blanket thing like that lives on your site, if it's really noteworthy, I think it's worthwhile. Like I mentioned that Kelsey, my web series, has had nearly half a million views. And like you could only fact check it by going back and looking at our screenshots of blip.tv before it was shut down. But uh, I mention it because it also comes with like also being an IndieWire critics pick and stuff that feels like would go hand in hand with those numbers. And it's just something that's in my bio, like buried in my longer bio. So take it or leave it is kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah, I go back and forth. Like the only one that I ever cite like numbers wise is for Ace and Anxious because especially because in the last year it like exploded in views. It got over 100,000 views in a, in a year, just a year. Um, like the the traction was incredible. It's definitely slowed down since then, but we have about 147,000 views um, and we're still pretty consistently going up. And like sometimes I mention it, uh, especially if I have extra characters, because I do think that it speaks to my credibility in a very specific niche space that I want to continue making work for. Um, and also when I use phrasing like, you know, is known for, I want to be like, just because you don't know it doesn't mean that 147,000 other people haven't heard of it. So some some of it is like a pre, you know, like a don't ask me the question of I've never heard of this. Like, no, 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 people have. And the fact that you haven't means that you're out of touch. But also sometimes I'm like, but it does feel kind of bizarre, especially because I don't have a view count for anything else. So I kind of, I go back and forth. I never know where I fall on it. But I am really proud of that film and and the fact that it's got, and like if you go to see it on YouTube and you see how many views there are, and if you scroll through the comments, they're all so lovely. There's over 600 comments and I only like three of them are rude. And it's <laughs> so unheard of on YouTube, especially in such a niche like movie about sexuality and anxiety. So like, you know, I, I want to prompt people to go look there, but I don't know, maybe I should try to integrate a YouTube comment or something. Maybe that would be more effective. Maybe. I mean, I think if it's on your site, you should just mention it because what's the harm and it might intrigue people more. If it's a bio you're sending out, I think it depends on what you're 
like intent is, what you want that That's person true. to get out of it. Yeah, I think for me, it's always about like, I just want to very quickly establish credibility because like, I know that film is good. But if I'm trying to establish like credibility in a space, like, no, I'm a I'm a filmmaker, you should take seriously and you should listen to me. Um, that's that's kind of my only thing <laughs> so far, other than me talking to you for an hour and you learning, oh, okay, she knows what she's talking about. Like, it's it's the quickest way to establish I'm not a complete like nobody out of left field. Mm-hmm. Um but that's that's all I have. Uh, that's all I have to say about bios. Let's move on to portfolios, <laughs> unless you have like okay. a new, like because no, 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 I, no. I, I think that the bio is like the the cold open. The portfolio yeah. is like the full picture. This is where you can go into detail, where you can put all the awards that you've won, even if they're from smaller places. Um, mm-hmm. So we got a couple of questions about portfolios and websites. Let's start with Selenia's question. So Selenia, who's a former student of mine and who created a web series that I have been hired to direct. Um, asks, what does a good portfolio look like? Are there different ways to beef up your portfolio if it's lacking? So like if you're just starting out, but you need some kind of website for yourself, what what is what are the good kind of logistical, structural elements to a online portfolio? Um, and should you beef it up? And if so, how? It's an interesting question about beefing it up. I think that the more concise you can be, the better even if it's minimal, as long as you're really putting your best foot forward, like being as intriguing as possible. It depends, and portfolios, I think it depends on like what you do. So like, are you a director? Are you a writer? If you're, I'm on, I'm going to like be honest here because I am a writer director. Like I don't even know what I would do with a purely writing site. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like I honestly don't know because visuals, I think I'm so drawn to visuals. So I really like don't even have a full opinion there. Um, However, if you are purely a writer, you definitely would want to lead with, has your work been produced before? Do those things exist that can be watched? Like, so even if it's not your own films or series or whatever, like you can still use that, those visuals if it's from your writing. You want to have clear sections so like even if it's not individual pages even if you have a site where people just scroll down sectioning off your site so that it's like this is where my bio lives this is where so my site for instance is is a home page that has my latest film on it to watch so the latest one I released online you can watch and then I have a bio page that has my short bio and then my my longer bio and my and a photo of me, like the most sort of general headshotty type photo, uh, and it la- and I link out to stuff. So anything that's like a project I mention or press I mention, I link out to all of that from there. And then I have a directing page where I talk a little bit about specifically me as a director, and I have my reel on that page, and then I have some of my work that you can watch. And I have a writing page where I talk about like my writing style, my influences, and I have a screenwriter's panel, like roundtable that I was part of, and then I have a press page. Oh, and then I have a separate page that's only like all the other stuff that I do. So consulting, teaching, podcasting, all of that lives on a whole separate, its own thing page. Um, And so I would say that like finding your umbrellas, that's kind of how you would want to handle your portfolio or your website is, is what are the things that you want people to know about you that you can expand upon. So maybe you are not a director too, or maybe you're not a writer, maybe you're only a director, maybe you um, 
also program for festivals and you want to devote a page to that. For a while, I had a page that was just like festivals and it just listed by year all the festivals I was part of. And it just like kind of was really boring. And after a while, I was like, I am in too many festivals, which sounds like arrogant, but the the like noteworthy ones were not at the top because I had it in sure. chronological order, like, you know, from newest to oldest. And I was like, this doesn't make sense anymore. So I just deleted that page and added the like noteworthy festivals to my bio and to my directing page. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, our, our websites are, are structured similarly. I still have a couple of additional pages because I'm not quite at the stage where I think a showrunner is going to pay attention to my page, hopefully mm-hmm. soon. But also like I do more than just this podcast. Um, for those of you who don't know, I also have a burn <laughs> notice podcast that I'm always making fun of in my bios, in fact, um, and in interviews. But also like I love doing that podcast. I'm really proud of it. I think it's very funny. And it's one of my favorite things to do every week. Uh, So I do have a separate podcast page because I, you know, I want to highlight that podcast. I want to highlight this one. I want to highlight the one that I did um, back at Starable and and also the companion one that we did for my web series. So I, I, I have pages for news and press. So like any recent updates that I want to make sure that people are aware of and, and obviously any press that I've gotten screenwriting, directing, producing just more as like a archive of my work. But I make it very clear at the top. I'm like, I don't want to produce, <laughs> but I'm really proud of this work that I've produced and that I've been a part of. So, you know, this it's more of just like a visual resume than it necessarily is about like, hire me to produce. Um, right. Podcasting, editorial, because I do a lot of, you know, how-to writing, speaking um, is my last one because I also would love to be hired to speak more. Love talking. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you guys have noticed, but then my, my about page is uh, instead of my most recent project, um, because frankly, my most recent project is not the best representation of my work. Um, mm-hmm. I have my filmmaking reel, and we'll talk about reels in a little bit. And then um, this is the statement I've had on my website for a long time. I don't know if it'll change, but like it's be- it's my uh, my name is Brie Castellini, and I make things for a living. Uh, and it used to be I want to make things for a living, I think. But now I can pretty confidently say that regardless of whether or not I'm a paid filmmaker, I do make things for a living. That is that mm-hmm. is the thing that I do. Um, and then I I have like a little professional thing. I need a pro- I need a bio though. I'm as I'm looking through this, I'm like, man, I really do need a good solid paragraph. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I I have like little pictures for all the things about me. So like my cre- my two writing degrees and pictures of me with my resume. Um, the f- a picture of me as a screenwriter, as a director, as a producer, as a speaker, um, and then links out to all of those pages. And I recently redesigned it so it was more picture focused. So if you go to like mm-hmm. my directing page, it's just my real at the top, a little like one to two sentence description of the style of directing I tend to do, and then pictures of all the things I've directed with links if you want to learn more about them specifically. Um, and I, I really like it. I love looking at my website now because I like seeing all the pictures of the things that I've done. Um, and I put like yeah. the, the logos for each of them on and, you know, because everything I do has a very distinct look and I don't know. I love my website. Yeah. I mean, I I also, I like yours and I also like mine. I think that showing while you tell as much as possible applies also to this, not just in film. And so showing yourself in action, like any kind of behind the scenes photos you have. I have two galleries on my site. One is me on set and then another is me at festivals. Um, 
and you can kind of click through and see a whole bunch of photos. And I feel like that's also where you get a sense of my personality because then you like see me and the way that I like dress in, I have a tendency to combine horror and cat references into my <laughs> my clothes that I wear on, on the festival circuit when I go to horror festivals. And so you start to get a sense of like who I am without me having to use more words to, to, sh- to tell you that. Um, and I think that you can also uh, use quotes like testimonials. I don't have any uh, because I just felt like it would, I didn't my website is like full enough, but <laughs> um, I do have like a press page where I pull quotes that are said about my work in from those articles on my press page. So that's something. But like if you don't have enough written about you yet to have like a whole press page, you can just like, you know, sprinkle in little quotes here and there that'll that'll kind of beef up your site without having to add pages. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't have quote quotes, if you have like somebody says something funny to you on Twitter about your work or if, some, if a yeah, YouTube yeah. comment is particularly flattering, like th- those work, you know, it doesn't have to be from IndieWire, you know, it doesn't have to be from like a publication, like just anything that people are saying about your work, even if it's just like someone who worked with you on something, you know, who wants mm-hmm. to give you a little quote, like all of that can be beneficial. And if you're, so like if you're a writer exclusively, then maybe having your Twitter feed and your Tumblr feed like embedded into your site is maybe a good idea. If you're a director or a cinematographer, just more of a visual filmmaker exclusively, having your Instagram feed embedded into your site is maybe a good idea. Like lead with what you do. So like lead with words if you're a writer, lead with images if you're more of a visual film creator. Um, Kelsey Rauber, who's my production company co-owner. I tend to direct everything she writes. She doesn't write most of what I direct because I also write a lot of my own stuff. But um, she doesn't direct. She directed one short to like try it out fairly recently and decided she doesn't like it. But um, <laughs> generally speaking, she writes and then I would direct the stuff if, if we feel like I'm the right fit and I want to do it. And so her website, like we have a production company site and then she has her own website and hers has like the films that she wrote that turned into films, that's like its own thing. And then she has like scripts that she's written that haven't been produced. That's like its own page and the awards she's won or been nominated for with those. And does she have like the full PDF? Like you can read the scripts? No, 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 no. She'll have like a synopsis and the title and any any kind of award it's won or been nominated for. She also has like a funny when you go to her first when her for, when you go to her website she has laurels that say like audience voted best site to learn about Kelsey Rauber or something like that like it's sort <laughs> of an award that her site has won um, to learn about her but that also shows her sense of humor because she writes comedy almost exclusively so she's like an example of someone who has a writer devoted site but she's also a producer for Kinshasa Cat stuff so she does have like films to link to if you don't have that I would recommend maybe even having like excerpts of your writing especially if your goal is to sell you're trying to get your script sold or you're trying to get staffed generally speaking if you're up for a, a job they usually want two writing samples so having two that are slight like maybe not fully but somewhat accessible on um on your site or linked to so like if they're on the blacklist or they're on 
the blood list, which is for horror. It's blacklist for horror. Um, or they're on any kind of like other f- hosting screenwriting type site where like screenplays are uh, judged or rated or whatever. Linking out to them or if they haven't the ability to embed like your actual page onto the site could be a good idea. Just showing that you're like not just wanting to be a writer, but that you do write and that you have mm-hmm. writing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that that kind of leads into you you sort of already answered a question from Kevin who asks how long should a writing portfolio be? What should it include? And should it be hosted online on a personal site with links to individual pieces or stored as a downloadable PDF? And I think there's also the sort of implicit question of should I make my writing available online? Will people steal it? Is that bad? Mm-hmm. I mean, you should definitely copyright anything that you're planning on sending out or putting out. Mhm. Yeah, the WGA makes it pretty easy to get your script listed with the WGA. Um, it's, However, there's like a small fee, right? There it's is like a small fee, bucks. but the WGA does not necessarily protect you copyright wise. So you definitely want to like mail it into the copyright office. Um, and that I think is like a $40 fee. I think it might be less. I don't know. I hope I, maybe it's less for shorter content. It might be a page count thing, but they take forever to send you a certificate. They do like the last one I did. It took like nine months, but oh my gosh, having it, I think is, is, is helpful in case anything ever arises. I will, I will be honest and say that I'm not such a big fan of putting like my entire script out there because I feel like even if So I'm like all for putting your ideas out there because your writing is what makes you special. It's not the idea. Like there are only so many ideas in the world. It's like your specific spin on it. However, if it's your writing that they have access to, I think that like, of course, yeah, they could steal it. And it could be that like someone could love it and make it and you'd have no idea the way that like independent film works where like you there are tons of films you don't even know exist because just we're all making stuff right so I'm like personally always hesitant unless it's a big recognizable thing like the blacklist so then I can at least say like look it was on this site x amount of people read it so I know that that person had access to it. It's harder to say when mm-hmm. it's just like living on your website because you can't prove that someone would have even discovered your website or even knew that it existed. So like my opinion is to, I'm much more comfortable hosting it on sites like that than just like putting it out for anyone to download. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Or, and obviously, you know, you can send it from person to person if somebody asks for your portfolio. Of course, of course. But yeah, I don't think it needs to be listed anywhere. Certainly not in completion. Right. You can like post, you know, two pages, like pick your best pages that show out, out Outside of the context of the whole story, show your writing style, show, you know, your ability to write great dialogue or for pacing or action or whatever it is, um, tension, whatever, and like put that out there. And then if people want more, they can request more or they can request a meeting with you or something like that. Totally. And then in terms of how long should a writing portfolio be, I think that in terms of actual submissions, they'll be pretty, they'll tell you what they want. Um, Like Christina already mentioned, having two samples is always going to be good if you want to do TV writing. It's always beneficial to have a spec script, although that's going more and more out of style in service of just Mm -hmm. more originals, just because of the nature of the way that TV works these days. Fewer and fewer TV shows have a place for you to write a spec because they're so 
tightly narrative. So unless you're doing like a sketch kind of a thing, like a, I think you should leave spec or something, um, you know, it's it's sort of hard to find an entry point that would realistically make sense for a spec. Um, but you know, if there's something that's active right now that you think you could write a spec on, then by all means, do it. I'm saying all these things as someone who has not done it because I have not written. I my portfolio badly needs to be refreshed. I like mm-hmm. I've got a couple of first drafts that I'd like to polish, but like, boy howdy, having five jobs is not conducive to having a writing career. <laughs> so maybe this year, uh, hopefully by the time you're hearing this podcast episode, things will have calmed down slightly. But who knows? Um, and then another question from Autumn Shinko is, what do you do with the portfolio once you've put it all together? Like, do you have your website, your portfolio, your shining examples? Like. How do you get attention for it? And is that the goal of having a portfolio? And I don't know if it is. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're on social media, which I feel like you should be at least on one platform, it should be the link in your bio. Sure. So especially when I think about like my Twitter activity lately where I'm just retweeting politics, like (laughs) people, if they actually want to know about me and my voice, they'd have to go to my website unless they want to scroll like a year down my Twitter feed (laughs) and see me actually tweet something that's not related to all the horrible things that people are doing in the world. The objective I should be really just if people are interested in learning about you and your work, it's there and very findable. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing is making it accessible. And once they're on that website, making it extremely accessible to contact you. So whether that's embedding a contact form, I would not recommend just putting your email um, and just like like a like a clickable link just because that's really easy for spam bots to like scrape websites and like send you a bunch of stuff. So I would make like I would either embed a contact form, which most website builders have some sort of plugin for and you can add like a captcha to keep it safe from spam. or, you know, doing a, like, you know, putting instead of like, like spelling out the word at gmail.com or something like that so that a, a spam bot can't just like click the link. That's something mm-hmm. I've learned. But whatever it is, the way to contact you should be very, very easy to find, should be very intuitive. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I have like been in the position of needing to contact a filmmaker or a creator for whatever reason and not being able to do it, you know, whether it's because like we want to feature them at a festival that I'm helping program or like follow up to interview or something or like maybe to collaborate with or compliment. It should not be hard for somebody to do something for you. So your contact information needs to be very evident and your website needs to be accessible. I shouldn't like hear about you or like meet you somewhere and not be able to find you on the internet. Like it should be very, very clear how to find you, how to find what you care about, and how to get in touch if I want to. Yeah. I mean, your website, if not like yourname.com should at least show up when your name is Googled. So like mm-hmm. that's, yeah. I think also your website and your social and pretty much everything from my perspective, my website links out to everything you can find about me and everything you can mm-hmm. find about me links back to my website. So yeah, like you, you may keep not- keep them in a closed loop. Exactly. You may not find my Instagram from my Twitter, even though my handle's the same, but you will definitely find my website, which does link to my Instagram and like vice versa, right? So that is how it's like this, the hub where it all lives and links out and everything mm-hmm. out that I'm linking out to also links into it. Yeah. And so Autumn, what I would say is listen to our last episode, which is about marketing that can give you a little bit more information. But I don't think the purpose of a portfolio or a bio necessarily is to like attract attention by itself, but it should keep attention once it's been found. 
You know, mm-hmm. it, it should just be something that you are not ashamed to show people um, and that if they are curious about you provides a good first impression that holistically gives them a sense of what you're looking to do, what you're good at and what you're what's special about you. But I don't think you need to worry about like, how do I get more clicks to my personal portfolio? It's more about like, how do I get into a position where people want to click to see my portfolio? I think that's exactly. the question. Yeah. Um, so do you want to transition to talking about reels for the final little bit of this episode? Sure. How many how many reels do you have personally between you and Congested Cat? Well, only two currently. But yeah, because we, we have a Congested Cat reel that's more like an overview of all the different things that we make. So like more of a show, sizzle. Yeah, it's a sizzle. Um, and then I have a directing reel. But my directing reel is very specific. Very, it's very recent because I had an old one and then I didn't. It got so out of date that I just made it private. And <laughs> and then uh, very recently, Jerry Maravia, friend of the pod, soon to be in an episode, he edited my reel for me and did a great job and took a lot of notes that I'm sure we were annoying. Um, so <laughs> I recommend hiring him if you need a reel. But I didn't want to edit it myself because I just like – wanted outside eyes to make judgments about <laughs> my directing. Uh, but I have my directing reel is very specifically to impress people who might want to invest in or be part of my next feature. So it's not supposed to reflect like my body of work as a whole. It's not necessarily supposed to reflect my versatility. It's supposed to reflect my ability to excellently direct this thing that I want money for and cast members to say yes to. <laughs> right, which is a is a horror movie. Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. So how, so with that in mind, like what were the decisions that you going in wanted to make? Like what were, what were elements of your work that you really wanted to highlight? Yeah, so the film that I'm trying to make next is Silent Night and it's a, kind of a horror comedy. Like it's, it is has comedic dialogue and the characters are funny, but like the stakes are real. It is really horrific and and, and there there's a lot of blood. <laughs> Can confirm. Yes, yes, I have read, read it. it. <laughs> it's ex- it's exceptional and it is oh, definitely not comedic in tone yeah. for that. But yeah, the characters are very funny. Right. So it's a hard. It's like a interesting blend, and that's why I also kind of like don't know what to call it because. Saying horror comedy, I think people then think it's like a spoof and it's not that. So for me, I wanted to highlight that I I can ha- handle stakes, like I can build tension, I can scare you, but I can also make you laugh with like dialogue. Uh, and so I, I chose projects. So I went through my whole body of work and I was like, okay, these this like third of what I've made will be in- included because they were the things that I felt had either good visuals or had good dialogue moments that reflected what I'm going for, but also still played into the tone. So like my latest film, Game Brunch, is really purely like a comedy, except Mm -hmm. it has like a genre backdrop in a way. Mm -hmm. But it's not meant to scare you at all. But I think it's a good reflection of like a mix of of tone and genre. And so I included, I asked to include a scene from that. So that you would get that bit of comedy, but then the rest of the reel is just like a lot of different footage that shows that I can build tension, that I can shoot in different conditions. So there's like exteriors, there's interiors, there's different lighting setups that I can 
uh, direct action because there's a lot of action in this film. And my shorts generally tend to be very apartment-based because I'm broke and that's how I've always <laughs> historically have been broke. And, and that's, you know, where I can make films for free. So I tried to like find the most action and across all of them to put into this reel so that you can see that I can do that. Cause Silent Night is like action on a whole other level than anything I've done. Um, I tried to show, cause it's also a monster movie. So I tried to show that I've, I have some like special effects. I have practical effects. I have visual effects and just, it was a, it was all about trying to show that I can do the thing that the script is and that I'm the right person for it. Because sometimes, you know, that sounds silly because it's my script and I shouldn't have to prove that. But right. in a world where, you know, being a woman, being a person of color and and also not being like a rich person, uh, you often have to prove yourself extra in order to mm -hmm. get funding or to get, you know, chosen or whatever it may be. So that was really, it was like going through, I, I told Jerry what I was trying to accomplish, like what I wanted people to take away from the reel, which was my ability to do all of those things. And I gave him the footage of the projects I wanted. And then I like left it to him to really make the choices about what specific moments to use and, mm -hmm. and how to like flow from Pace each. it out. Exactly. And and I really liked what he did with it. And he like made some cool choices that I definitely would not have myself because like he's like a music. He makes a lot of music videos as a director. That's so not what I direct. So like I felt like he would be the right person for something like that where like music is taking you on a journey through clips as opposed to like a scene, you know? Yeah, I yeah, I love your new reel. It's very fun. I have I need to update mine a little bit, but it's ha it I haven't done enough work recently that I feel particularly pressured to do it. But I have three reels that kind of interact and also are separate. So I've got like my main filmmaking reel, which is sort of like, it's sort of the Brie Castellini reel, the overview. Um, and so like, there are a lot of clips that it has in common with my directing reel and my screenwriting reel, which were my two others. But um, it kind of takes like the best of each to sort of give a two minute overview of like, this is who I am as a filmmaker. Um, mm -hmm. And then my screenwriting reel is taking my favorite moments of like dialogue interaction um, that I think because like my my strength, I think, as a screenwriter and my strength, frankly, as a personal brand is my voice. And that comes through in my dialogue most succinctly. So I just picked like my favorite 30 second interactions from my various pieces of work. Uh, and that kind of became my screenwriting reel. And then my directing reel is sort of a combination of moments of my scripts that I, I feel are, are exemplified, but have a nice visual component, but mm -hmm. also balancing in that I feel like I am very much an actors and performers director mm -hmm. versus a cinematographers. So yeah. um, when I just when I when it came time to not just compile like the full clip of my reel like the scenes but also finding like the the bits for the montage um and my directing reel has like a montage in the beginning and the end instead of being a montage of like you know sweeping landscapes like i kaylee brown actually who did our podcast art has a really beautiful cinematography reel and it's a lot of like sweeping landscapes and these beautiful aerial shots and things like that and movement and camera movement and it's like that's i like doing that in my work but that that doesn't define my work as a director mm -hmm. what defines my work as a director is the actors so i um picked a lot of clips of like 
like people having really distinct expressions, you know, like making mm-hmm. facial expressions and like showing shock or awe or things like that. Um, you know, showing two people interact in a two shot um, mm-hmm. and like a couple of unusual angles that I'm really proud of pulling off to show like, hey, I don't just shoot, you know over the shoulder over the shoulder wide shot like I can do I can hang with the cool directors um (laughs) and then basically I actually really like cutting reels I find it very relaxing I famously hate post-production of all kinds Mm -hmm. especially post-production for podcasts but I actually really like the act of putting together a reel because it feels like when I was in high school making music videos um just to songs that I liked and putting clips of my friends over it I do like Mm -hmm. editing to music so picking music for my reels is always both the most fun and most frustrating part since I have it I can edit to that baby no problem but I have Mm -hmm. like no sense of music like I like music but I have no idea what music goes with what so what I do is I pick something that seems like the tempo that I want and then I send it to my other podcast co-host Christine and then she a person who knows a lot about music says this is the worst music I've ever heard Mm -hmm. try this (laughs) so Mm -hmm. like I briefly had a subscription to um I think it was Soundstripe just one of the music licensing platforms I had like a three-month subscription and I gave Christine the login and I was like please just go through my account and find me a song and so she did and it's my favorite song of any reel that I've used um so like the same way that you rely on Jerry to make decisions um and like you know help you with like the pacing side of it and Mm -hmm. like giving you an outsider's perspective on what clips are right I had a pretty good intuitive sense of what clips I wanted to use but I didn't know how to bring it all together and so I just Mm -hmm. found a person that I trusted and said I know this is the thing you're good at please help me I will (laughs) give you access to anything in my life run my life please um but yeah that's that's how I put together my reels directing reels are hard because they can so often just feel like cinematography reels yeah the struggle for me when I was thinking about doing it myself was like how do I not just make it a cinematographer's reel and how do I not just make it a scene or like a collection of scenes because again like directing is yeah it's like the actors and working and their performances and and like your pacing within a scene that's yeah exactly it's hard to take it out of context right and so I found it really kind of paralyzing when I was trying to do it myself and also the music because I'm very good at saying like what I want the music to uh, accomplish and then someone else gives it to me. <laughs> I'm really not good at choosing music myself as well. Yeah, I'm bad at both. And- <laughs> I'm just like dead silence, please. It's it's important as with everything in your filmmaking career to find the people that you really trust to give you like objective opinions like Chris Mm -hmm. you know I've mentioned Chris in probably every episode related to like you know how do you know if you're doing the right thing because like Chris is somebody who's a very different kind of creator for me but also knows my sensibilities like so strongly like if I am about to watch a tv show or movie that I know Chris has seen I'll text her first and I'll be like Chris will I like this movie because she has like maybe it's just the kind of person she is maybe it's just because like we known each other for quite a while we're very close but like she has such a strong sense of me as a person and like you know what my taste is sometimes she knows my taste better than me and I really appreciate that because sometimes I'm like I get in my own head and I'm like I don't Am I a techno music person or an electric guitar person? I don't know anymore. Um, And she's really good at being like, I'm not listening to you. I've made a decision. 
it's perfect. Listen to it. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. And it's nice to have a gut check person like that. You know, you can get yourself some of the way, but find your people, even if they're not people who do film stuff. Like Chris happens to be somebody who does film stuff, um, but she's not a director by any means. She did it once and was not a super fan of it either. <laughs> Sounds like the same way as Kelsey was. But, you know, she she understands the process and understands what I'm going for and can bounce ideas off of when I'm feeling stuck. Um, and I would say the same is true now for Christina and I. Like, I, I love Christina's taste and I... I trust her especially when it comes to like darker stuff and when I try to do vaguely horror-y things <laughs> um and I really appreciate having you Christina in my life to be able to bounce things off of so like the overarching advice for finding your brand is if you don't know what your brand is ask your friends <laughs> and, <laughs> and and find the sort of Venn diagram of what everyone has to say and totally, if you agree yeah. or if you like or are flattered by the picture that appears then you know dress for the job you want like I said that at the beginning, and I think it's a good summing up, you know, what do you want to do? Make your website, your bio, your reel look like someone who would be perfect to do that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think okay. it's a matter of beefing it up. I think it's a matter of like, well, what are you already doing? What have you already done? Or what can you be doing that will eventually beef it up? Like, I don't think you need to to pad your resume, you know, don't put things in there that aren't relevant um, mm-hmm. or do stuff just for the sake of padding your resume, but just be very intentional and thoughtful about what you are putting out there and like what you're leading with. That's right. That's a great ending sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> of course, though, if you have fuller uh, questions to ask, we are always happy to revisit episodes. We may even do a mailbag sometime soon. Um, so oh, if we yeah. get enough like disparate questions from various episodes, uh, even if we didn't expressly say in the episode, hey, ask us more questions. Uh, consider this a blanket one. Hey, ask us more questions. Um, you know, we it, it, it's usually more helpful to you if we can directly answer what you're curious about. So let us know what that is. Right. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them are in our episode description. Also, be sure to rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app. And if there is a place to write a review, please do, because it actually does make a difference. Um, For those of you who already have, we love you very much. For those of you who are about to do it, we love you very much. It's the end of the episode, so it's time to thank our booby VIPs, who are our $10 and up patron subscribers. So thank you so much to our VIP, Norman Steinberg, Kelsey Rauber, Jules Piggott, Jerry Maravilla, and Shannon Spangler. If you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. We would love to add new VIPs to our roster. Next week, like we kind of mentioned already, we're going to be talking to Jerry Maravilla about screenwriting competitions. So if you're curious about that, be sure to tune in. (laughs) 